Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today we've got a crazy story of an evil boss. But first, a story from Otavaro. Four weeks notice? How about zero? This happened a while back in the UK civil service. Some of you may work there now, and so some of this may have changed, but this is how it was. I was accredited administrative assistant, CAA, in one of 46 regional teams. They were organized in teams of six in each regional office. Four administrative assistants and two credited administrative assistants per team. The CAA grade was like a half promotion and it was given generally to the two most senior members on the team with the most knowledge and experience and was generally viewed as a stepping stone to the next level. Above us was the executive officer who managed each team. I had worked under two executive officers before the arrival of Brenda and our team was the second best team in the entire country according to the rankings. Second best wasn't good enough for Brenda however. No, Brenda wanted to be first. Brenda wanted to be first badly. And so Brenda put her two brain cells to work to making us into the best team in the entire country. The thing is, when you're the second best team in the country, you're doing things well. And there are far more ways to make things worse at that point than there are to make them better. Brenda was a master at discovering those ways. Every two weeks we would have a team meeting and Brenda would introduce her latest innovations to our working practices to improve things. And what would happen then would be we would faithfully follow her ideas, but obviously at first it's a new way of doing things and needs time for it to become second nature and for the improvement, if the idea had any, to take effect, which meant every two weeks standards would decline as we adopted a new system. Outrage that standards were declining would prompt Brenda to introduce another new idea two weeks later, which of course meant that standards would decline again, which would prompt Brenda to introduce yet more new ideas and you get the picture. We fell from second best team out of 46 to 46 best team out of 46. Myself and the other CAA, Andy, went to the HR manager, Barry. We explained that we weren't happy with the way things were going and then Brenda was the issue. Everything she'd tried to introduce had only made things worse. Barry said he'd have a word with Brenda to see what the matter was. Time passed, we were called back in. Barry said Brenda was an excellent manager, the problem must be with the team. The team that was once the second in the entire country. Brenda also decided to punish her CAAs. Out of the team of six, we were doing the work of four of them with Brenda piling more things onto us presumably for having the temerity to complain about her. I decided that since I'd left school to get a job and hadn't gone to university, I'd actually missed out, especially after our reunion with old schoolmates who had graduated. So I started applying, in secret, to universities. I told Andy and he told me that he'd actually been going through the application process to join the police and his various days off he'd taken had been to sit exams and take physicals, etc. We kept each other's applications secret, only updating each other on how we were getting along. Time went past and I got accepted into university. I wanted to work the next day, Friday, and grabbed Andy. Guess what, I asked. You got accepted. He grinned. Guess what, so did I. We needed to hand in our four-week notices. 
Now, in the civil service back then, you got a lot of leave. You had 25 days basic leave, then you could take two days per month flexi because it was flexi time. And if you had your hours built up, you could take up to two days. Then on top of that, there were privilege days, which are a thing that happen when members of parliament grant themselves a day off. It basically gets granted to all civil servants. So there were about four to five of these a year too. And then there were public holidays. The only problem was the HR manager Barry wasn't in. Where was Barry? Oh, he was off for the week on a stress management course. Never mind, we just leave our notice letters on his desk, covering the four-week notice period with a bank holiday, a privilege day, two flexi days, and all of our saved-up leave that we hadn't taken, which meant we had to spend zero more days in the office once that Friday was over. Barry would come into work the following Monday, fresh from his stress management course, to find Brenda's team was short a third of its members. Its most senior members to boot, a team that was already the worst in the country. I did hear later from a friend in the same office that Brenda was quietly moved into a position where she could do no further damage. I just wish I'd been able to see Barry's face on that Monday morning though when he saw the two letters on his desk. Oh, how it would feel to be a fly on the wall in that moment. If you're working a job and you have a manager that is tanking all performance and you're getting blamed for it, but you know, it's still consistent work, you're still getting paid. Would that be enough to make you jump ship? Or would you just keep writing it out until they gave you a notice? Let me know how you would handle it in the comments down below. Our next story is from Guy from Death Valley. They wanted me to be precisely on time, so I did. This occurred while I was still an apprenticeship at my current workplace a few years ago. It was never really commented on by management, but was internal within my department. We have an electronic time stamping system to log our work hours. When we arrive and start work, we stamp in, and when we leave, we stamp out. The log time is then uploaded at the end of the month, and our monthly work overtime is calculated. At the time, my daily habit was, if my shift started at 12.30, I'd leave home at 12, and be at work at roughly 12.15 or 12.20 depending on traffic. In really bad cases, it can be 12.25. Now, it's relevant to know that for every hour, there are time spans in which two people have to be present at work at all times. From 12 to 12.15, 12.30 to 12.45, 1300 to 13.15, and so on. So the employee could only leave his position when his replacement in work clothes was present and logged. That's why I was oftentimes quite early. If I arrived at, say, 12.20, I'd immediately log in, change into my work clothes, and while I did that, the colleague I replaced could change clothes and go home, since I'd be ready at 12.30 at least. Now, there was one colleague who did not like that, mainly because I'd collect overtime for that, even though other colleagues could take that time off their schedule. So he told me to be logged in precisely on time at 12.30, though he wanted me to already be in my work clothes before logging in. Since we aren't allowed to wear our work clothes outside of work, including the work commute, he wanted me to be early at work to change my clothes, to send a colleague off so they could change their clothes, while still logged in, and leave for home, while myself only collecting the time my shift is. So I did pretty much that. I'd be at work at 12.25. If I was early, I'd sit in my car in the parking lot and wait. Then at 12.25, I would go in, change my clothes, and stamp in, which could take more than five minutes to do. 
and because I wasn't early enough, my replacement couldn't leave early and would make overtime they didn't want. Of course, most colleagues didn't mind that, nobody cares about staying 10 minutes longer, but a certain colleague did absolutely not like that. This entire thing then ended backfiring on him when I didn't make enough work hours, since he also demanded I log out when I'm done with work early in the evenings. So with each week, my time account would shrink and shrink. They'd have me work additional days, but they couldn't do that all the time because as an apprentice, I wasn't allowed to work more than five days a week, which I already regularly did. They also couldn't let me work additional hours per day because as an apprentice, I wasn't legally allowed to work more than eight hours per day either. So of course, at some point, the department management asked questions on why I'm constantly missing hours on why the apprentice is working weekends too often, and why is he making 9 or 10 hour shifts. After a month, he stopped complaining about me being early, and ever since then, things have worked flawlessly until corona hit. This is literally one of those classic examples of don't fix what isn't broken. It was like a mild annoyance for this guy, and they're like, well there must be a better way to fix this, when in reality if they just didn't touch it, it wouldn't have bothered anybody. He was just one person that was annoyed, so they break out their wrench and rearrange a few parts, and all of a sudden the machine starts malfunctioning in other ways. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Every video has awesome stories, like our next one from Perfunctory. Oh, use the computer projections? Okay, boss. I used to work for a guy who claimed he was a king and we sold burgers. I made hourly as a shift manager in under a year and they gave me inventory duty. I loved inventory. I was really good at estimating waste, figuring out trends, looking back at past months and years to find ebbs and peaks during the busiest months of the year. The store was a corporate store. It was a training store and pulled in nearly 2 million a year in the mid 90s. This was the time when the signature sandwich came in a meal with a medium drink and medium fry for $2.99. So we did a huge volume to make money. At the time, Disney was having a renaissance of animation. Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, and on and on. This all took place leading up to the release of Pocahontas. I'm being a good little shift manager and keeping the teams going. I pitch in where I'm needed, handing out breaks and making inventory orders. The district manager gets word that our orders are varying greatly from week to week, so he comes in to see why. I explain that I look at the past volume of sales, the weather, any local events or promotions going on, and adjust it. He demands the waste logs. I show him. We were in the top 20% of kitchens for the least waste in his district. He talks to the GM. I'm then told to go back to ordering the way we used to because the distributor doesn't like the way the order changes. It was noted in my file. Sir, yes sir. I realized that Pocahontas was releasing that next week, so we need more kids meal bags, more cups, as many toys as we could get, and on top of that, they had special plastic cups for the extra-sized meals. But, alas, I had new orders from the GM. I complied and placed the order we historically placed for that week. As soon as the Pocahontas items were in the store, we started selling them as per corporate's direction. The carnage was delicious. The delivery was by Tuesday. By Thursday lunch, we were out of kids meal bags, kids meal cups and lids, 
the toys everyone was insane over, and the 44-ounce collectible plastic cups. Now, I placed the order. Crap rolls downhill. The district manager got tons of complaints, so he yelled at Dave, our GM, who in turn yelled at me. He asked me what I was thinking, not loading up on everything ahead of such a huge event. And I said, but Dave, you and GM told me not to order anything more than the usual order for the week based on past sales. And you even added it in my file. I was only doing what I was told. After that, I was given free reign over the ordering again. Dave was reassigned to a much smaller store. The GM got placed on leave for a month or so. May or may not have been related to the store failing so hard. Sadly, they soon transferred me to a really bad store in a terrible neighborhood, and it was a 45-minute commute in traffic. I ended up quitting a few weeks later and found a much better job for much better pay, plus benefits. Still, it felt good to screw with them that way, especially since I'd been offered a 50-cent raise to take the night shift, but they forgot to put it in the system for over a month, and then couldn't do back pay. This was before the ordering issue. This both doesn't sound like a very prestigious place to work after this, I mean it was a long time ago though, but it also sounds like they were very quick to not appreciate somebody who statistically was doing really really well. I'd like to hope that nowadays if somebody was doing so well and statistically outperforming others that they might recognize and try to retain and make that person happy, but you know, they're always looking for profits, so maybe they'd still want to try to hire two 19 year olds at half the price in replace of somebody like that. And our final story of the day is from my posting name 13, you're capping commissions on our most in-demand vehicles because you're not doing any extra work, so you shouldn't get extra money? Fine, let's see how that works out for you. Back in 2014, I was selling cars, Ford specifically. For all those that aren't car buffs, both the Mustang and the F-150 were getting ground up redesigns for 2015 and Ford had just announced that there would be no Shelby Mustangs or Raptor F-150s for 2015. Instantly, we were fielding several calls a day about these vehicles, and almost overnight, the inventory we had came with a $10-$20,000 market adjustment due to demand. Our GM loved both vehicles, and traded for them whenever he could because he loved chatting about them with buyers. So we had 21 Raptors and 6 Shelbys still on the lot when I sold a ruby red Raptor extended cab at $10,000 over the sticker the last week of the month. Both are crazy numbers for the less than 200 new cars we sold per month. With the trade, I was due about $4,200 in commission, but my check was about $1,700 light. Come the first Saturday morning meeting after payday, we were told that commissions on such vehicles would be capped at $2,500, retro to last month per a previously ignored provision in our pay plan. There was much grumbling, but management stood firm, citing how incredibly easy Raptor and Shelby deals were. They weren't wrong about that. There was no such thing as a test drive until the deal was done. You could absolutely drive the car before you bought it, but only after we had a signed buyer's order, credit app, and the deal had been submitted and approved. They were generally in and out in under 45 minutes, if not half an hour. But still, dealership gets free money and doesn't want to share? Cue malicious compliance. I talked to several other salespeople who, to a man, were pissed, and we colluded. 
I whipped up a little Excel macro slash widget that would take the invoice price and hold back, add in pack and whatnot, and spit out a sales price that would produce an exactly $2,500 commission. I sent it to every salesperson we had and everyone used it. It only took three signed buyer's orders with seemingly arbitrary numbers for the desk to figure out what we were doing and to call another meeting. That meeting was basically management yelling at us and the entire sales staff calmly saying, remove the cap or you'll never see another signed buyer's order that exceeds it. Screw you. The cap was lifted three days later. I get it, man. That company wanted to keep more of that sweet, exclusive almost price gouging type money but when you work commissions and you're trying to cap what they can earn while profiting all the extra new income who in their right mind is going to go out of their way to work to earn you extra money while just accepting that they're giving up more to you it's honestly a pretty logical thing that happened here either give people their fair share or they're only going to work hard for what they literally can earn but with that being said that's all the time we have for today Now, if you want to see another malicious compliance story that was even more insane than the ones in this video, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, click on the right. But with that being said, I'll see you guys next time for some more stories. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.